Welcome to the Home Birth After Cesarean podcast. Due to the rate of unnecessary C-sections, the lack of support, and limited options for VBAC moms in the hospital, more and more women are choosing to have their VBAC babies at home. This podcast was created for women to share and listen to stories of home birth after cesarean. I'm your host, Rachel Garrett. Today we have Stephanie with us on the podcast. So Stephanie, do you want to just give us a little bit of an intro? Sure. So I am 33. I've had three births. Um, Right now we live in Texas, uh, but my story started in Louisiana. I am a physical therapist and we, my husband and I have been married for five and a half years. And we always knew that we wanted a big family. And so we started trying to have our first child after we had only been married a few months. And uh, infertility runs in my family. My mom took five plus years to get pregnant the first time and then three or four years in between each child, even though they were trying to space closely together. My sister's been married for 12 years and has never conceived a child. Um, So when my husband and I were married, we kind of thought, well, I'm probably going to have fertility issues as well. So let's just jump right in and they're going to make us try for six months to a year before they even see us for fertility issues. So let's go ahead and get started trying. We do NFP. So I was charting. So I was gathering all this information to bring to an infertility specialist and we got pregnant on the first try. It, it really threw us for a loop. Um, I had not yet sat for my board exam for physical therapy. And here I was <laughs> with a positive pregnancy test. It was so much faster, but it was such a surprise and such a blessing. And so I was 27 at the time that I got pregnant. The pregnancy proceeded pretty normally. I knew from the beginning that I wanted to go with a midwife. I've always been, even though I am in the medical field, as physical therapists, we're kind of um, one of the more naturally minded of the medical personnel. You know, we, we try to do things, work with our body. And so I went with a midwife to begin with. And at 32 weeks pregnant, she caught just doing routine lab work, caught uh, some protein in my urine. And uh, at first she wasn't concerned, you know, let's just watch it and we'll see. Um, Well, me being in the medical field, I immediately thought, "Uh uh-oh, preeclampsia, let me keep checking my blood pressure. And sure enough, every day, my blood pressure just kept creeping up, creeping up, creeping up. And at a certain point I called her, it had only been five days since my last visit. And at 32 weeks, it was still, we were at the point where it was another two weeks to go to the next appointment. So it was right in the middle of the two appointments. um, And she told me, go straight to the hospital, check in and I'll see you there. And we'll do, we'll keep you overnight to monitor and do a 24 hour collection. So they did all that and the preeclampsia turned out to be sudden severe, sudden severe onset. And so I never left the hospital. 
They put me on um, bed rest in the hospital and monitored me. They had me on multiple medications to prevent seizures, lower blood pressure, all of this. And within a few days, it seemed like it was under control and they were hopeful that I would make it to 36 or 37 weeks. Then two days later, all of a sudden, for whatever reason, the medication stopped working. My blood pressure spiked to 210 over 190 and I uh, started losing my vision, et cetera, et cetera. And they rushed me straight to the OR for a C-section. So moral of that story is that thank goodness for the training that midwives have that she was able to catch that and refer me out immediately for a higher level of care. And also, you know, even wanting to have a natural birth, wanting to have an HVAC, OBGYNs are not evil. <laughs> they have their place, you know, medical care has its place. So anyway, so that was generally, even though I was thankful for that medical care that was provided, it was overall a traumatic experience for me because of the medications that I was on. Uh, I was basically sedated for 36 hours after the C-section. I was not the first one to meet my baby. My baby was in the NICU for three weeks. It was very traumatic, but you know, everything turned out well in the end. And I knew that going into it next time, there were things that I could do to uh, try to prevent the preeclampsia, like taking an aspirin every day, <laughs> taking an aspirin every day. And I decided to go with the midwives again. Was the midwife based out of the hospital or was she a home birth midwife? Yes. So it was a midwife based out of a birth center that's attached to a hospital. And so I went with the same midwives the second time. Pregnancy was picture perfect. I went to 41 weeks, arrived at the hospital, ready to have my birth in the birth center. And there was some scheduling issue with the midwives. Apparently one or two of them had quit suddenly and the midwives never showed up. So I wound up being sent over to the regular labor and delivery floor. And at that point, um, my labor just completely stalled. My body shut down. I, was, I didn't feel safe. I didn't feel comfortable. I was with these strangers that I had never met before in a hospital setting. It just, yeah, it was just all around super stressful and my body just shut down. And at that point, my labor stalled. I was at four centimeters. And then when they transferred me over to labor and delivery, I was suddenly two centimeters. Um, yeah, that's, I mean, that's hard. Your body is kind of like, okay, what's going on? This is not what I expected. This is not what we had planned and is in a way protecting your baby because it's thinking this is not an ideal time to have a baby. Exactly. So I think also because I suddenly lost control of the situation and my plan shifted, my perceived pain of the contractions went through the roof. And so I suddenly was no longer able to cope through the contractions as they came. And I wound up getting an epidural at five centimeters, like as soon as they would let me. <laughs> and thank goodness it was a VBAC friendly hospital 
because they, despite all of that, despite the interventions in the hospital setting, they were still on board with me going for a VBAC. And thank goodness that even with the epidural, I was able to have a successful VBAC. Total labor time was 28 hours. And um, I did hemorrhage with that delivery, but I am 95% convinced that it's because the OB tractioned my cord instead of waiting for the placenta to deliver. And I could feel it through the epidural. I could feel him pulling on the placenta and I told him to stop and he didn't and he pulled it away. And that's when the bleeding started. So that was, even though that was a successful VBAC, again, it was uh, pretty traumatic and it did not go at all how I had wanted it. And at that point, immediately after that birth, uh, when I told myself, I'm never going back in the hospital again. Had you known from the start of that pregnancy that you wanted to do a VBAC? Like, was that always in the back of your mind after your first birth? Yes. So my primary concern was knowing that we wanted to have a large family. I didn't want to have multiple C-sections, which then could potentially limit the number of children that we were able to safely have. And then the second being just if there was no preeclampsia, there was no reason for me to have a C-section again. And all of this, I know a lot of people that don't even know that VBACs are possible or safe. And so thank goodness I'm the, the type of person that researches everything. And I had that knowledge going into, even before I had the C-section, I knew that VBACs existed and that they were safe and all this. So yeah, definitely went into the second pregnancy knowing that I was going to try for VBAC. And I did almost everything I could think of to ensure that possibility. I exercised, I saw a Cairo, um, I hired a doula, I watched my diet super carefully because I know that gestational diabetes is one of the main reasons that they used to do a repeat C-section. Um, I took a daily aspirin to prevent preeclampsia. I wanted to make sure that my chances for a VBAC were as good as possible. So, and then but yeah, how, after, sorry, how long after your first child was born was it that you fell pregnant with your second? 16 months. Okay. Yeah, there's exactly 25 months between each of my kids. And yes, that was also a considering factor was um, the knowledge that a lot of people don't want you to VBAC if it's been too close, even though that's also been disproven. I just did not want any barriers if I could eliminate those barriers. So then after, after that one, I knew that I never wanted to go into a hospital again, but I was faced with a issue that in the state of Louisiana, midwives are not, not legally allowed to attend home birth after C-section. So then I was faced with the decision, you know, for the third birth, what do I do? Do, do I go unassisted? Do I cross state lines and give birth in a hotel room? <laughs> um, because that's how dead set I was on not going back into a hospital unless it was life or death. Luckily, my husband was on board with us moving states completely. So uh, we moved to Texas 
the main reason being my sister lives here, but the fact that they allow midwives to attend HBACs was another huge factor. And so when we got pregnant with our third, I knew right away that I wanted to do a home birth. And apparently I had made that decision in my head without ever consulting him. I thought we had had that discussion. <laughs> but when I started talking to him about it, he was completely caught off guard. <laughs> and he was raised in a family where, you know, modern medicine is needed and necessary and good. And um, he was just completely flabbergasted that I would want to have a baby at home. So what was his reaction? Was he supportive or was he kind of like, yeah, we're not doing that? He was not at all supportive, which um, most of the time he just goes along with whatever crazy plans I have. But uh, he, he still had a lot of trauma from the first birth that was an emergency C-section. And I, he told me at that time, you know, watching you nearly die and watching our child fight for her life in the NICU. I don't ever want to take a risk with your life or our child's life. And so it took a lot of convincing. I had to present all of the research to him. We sat down and watched um, Why Not Home, which is the documentary. I think it's on Netflix and all of these things. And, and at a certain point, I don't remember where in there, at a certain point, I just put my foot down and I was like, I'm sorry, you're not the one who had to go through the trauma of those two births. And ultimately, I respect you as my husband. I want your input and I respect, you know, how, how you feel about it, but I'm not going back in a hospital. So it's either I have this baby at home or... I have this baby at home. <laughs> Those are the only <laughs> options. <laughs> right. We can either hire a midwife to have the baby at home or I can uh, have the baby unassisted at home. <laughs> so, um, but with all the research, when he finally saw that for low risk births, home birth is completely safe. That, And I think the biggest factor was when I told him that the midwives carry with them all of the same equipment, all of the same medications that they have in a birth center. So there's absolutely no difference between a birth center and a home birth, except for the fact that they come to you instead of you going to them. That was, I think that was his turning point where he realized, okay, I'm on board. Let's do this. I think a lot of people misinterpret what a home birth midwife is sometimes, and they think it's like just like your friend coming over not that there's anything wrong with that because there's lots of women that choose to not have assistance at a birth which i mean you just have to do whatever is best for you and what you're most comfortable with but i i think that people don't always see that a midwife has training in like what is an emergent situation and they're trained to recognize things before they actually become an emergency because looking at the research most home birth transfers aren't emergent transfers if there is one it's usually something that just requires more monitoring or something that's outside of the scope of the midwife like maybe even after the birth or something like that so i think that that's a piece of the puzzle that gets missed a lot of the times is that midwives are trained professionals who who know what they're doing it's not just anybody walking into your house to help you through the birth process. Right. 
And then um, our midwife, well, I've interviewed several before picking, but in the state of Texas, um, almost every midwife, they bring along an assistant midwife who is usually a primary midwife of, of her own practice. And they have one midwife to care for the mother and then another midwife to care just for the baby. So that was another factor, knowing that there was going to be two, knowing that there was going to be two highly trained professionals to take care of us was also a huge help in convincing him. So yeah, so I just, I interviewed multiple midwives in the area. Luckily we were on a health share at the time, which covers home birth hundred percent. So I didn't have to consider costs at all. I just interviewed multiple just to see who I fit best, best with. And then um, I think other than the midwife, the thing that was a complete game changer for me was that the birthing class that I chose to pick this time around, um, which is called birth Boot Camp. And it was absolutely amazing. It gave hands-on advice and tips of things that you can do during labor. It really trains the husband to know the different phases of labor and things to do and say to assist. It was so helpful to use those tactics during the labor. Is that one a VBAC specific training? Is no, it, a it is not. Okay. Just a general birth class. It's just a natural birthing class. Um, and it's, it's mostly about positioning and pain management. And we worked through that class. And then when I have really pretty severe um, prodromal labor with all of my pregnancies. And so it's just this game of like, is, is this actually it <laughs> for like the three weeks leading up to the actual birth? So when it finally started, I didn't really pay any attention to it because I was after, even though I was after 40 weeks, but I was so over it at that point. <laughs> um, and at that point I was just like, well, if this is it, it's it. I'm not even going to pay attention to it. And so when the first contraction actually convinced me that I was in labor, my husband went to go bring our kids to my sister's house and he was only gone 15 minutes. He hadn't even made it to her house yet. And I called him and told him, you need to come home immediately. Like this is ramping up so much faster than I expected, given that my last labor was 28 hours. And so he quick dropped them off, raced back home. And by the time he got back, he said, I think I'm going to call the midwife. And I was like, it's only been an hour. There's no reason to be calling a midwife yet. And he responded, look, you made me do this birth boot camp class. And according to what they taught us, I need to call the midwife. So he called the midwife. She came over and she just listened to me and watched me labor for a little while. And she said, okay, I'm going to go fill the, the tub. And I said, it's way too early. It's only been two hours. And she was like, I'm listening to you labor and we don't have much longer. And I was in complete denial just with how fast it was going. But sure enough, I got in the shower, stayed in the shower for probably about an hour. She let me know, know that the tub was ready 
for me to go get in. And so I got out of the shower, got out of the shower and started walking towards the tub and did not even make it halfway across my bedroom when a contraction like dropped me to the ground. <laughs> so I'm on all fours in my bedroom laboring, still in complete denial that this baby's about to come. And on the next contraction, I feel the urge to push. And at that point, I asked her, I was like, oh, can you check to like see how far along I am? At this point, I had not been checked at all. And she said, I don't have to check. I can see the baby's head. <laughs> so at that point, I was like, oh, okay. Like this is actually happening. <laughs> Then you realized you were in labor. <laughs> then I realized, right, that it wasn't going to be a 28-hour labor and that this was actually happening and that I was not, in fact, going to make it into the tub. So, yeah, so I pushed on all fours, which turned out to be an awesome position for me. I really enjoyed that. It enjoyed it as much as you can enjoy pushing out a baby. But um it gave me a lot of control and I did not tear at all that time. It pushed, I pushed um, probably four or five times and he was out and he was a almost 10 pound baby, 21 inches. But um, yeah, it went really smoothly. How, how big had your other two babies been? So my first was a preemie. So she was four pounds, five ounces. And then my second one was eight and a half pounds. And then he was nine and a half, almost 10, I think. For my second child, I had had a second degree tear. My doula had informed me that it was because the doctor started pulling her out instead of waiting for her shoulders to turn first, which made sense. It added up because the tear was in the vaginal wall, not at the perineum. So yeah, so that made sense. But anyway, for him, I did not tear at all. The midwife uh, delivered him, you know, caught him. And when he first came out, he was really limp. His APGAR score was only a two. He was breathing, but not very well. And yeah, he was just really poor coloring and very limp. And the midwife, both of them just jumped in, started giving oxygen and uh, stimulation just to try to get him to take some deep breaths. My husband, look, they were so calm about it. My husband did not know that anything was concerning or wrong at all. And I only knew because I'm in the medical field and I had done so much research on my own. But yeah, they handled it super quickly. And within a minute, his APGAR was up to an eight. And then they delivered the placenta, waited for the cord to turn completely white, tucked me into bed and said, see you in the morning. <laughs> Very different from a hospital setting. Completely different. It was amazing. It was so relaxed and just easy. It was so much easier than I thought giving birth could be. And I honestly, other than the, you know, obvious like looseness of my pelvis and weakness of my abs, I did not feel like I had just given birth at all. It just felt right. It felt like I was whole. It felt so good just to be able to snuggle with my 
husband and my baby in our own bed and not have to wait two days to get discharged to go home. Um, it was just perfect. So how, how did this postpartum period compare to the previous two? With my first, obviously, there was the C-section recovery, which honestly wasn't that bad. I was probably back to normal within two weeks, but emotionally, it was just a horror. With my second, it was really bad. I had, since I had hemorrhaged, I had received a transfusion, but I still felt super tired and weak. The second degree tear in the vaginal wall did not heal properly at all. It overgranulated during the healing stage. And so it formed um, what's called a pedunculated granuloma, which is basically just like a giant scab that was sticking out into my vaginal canal. And it caused so much irritation and pain that I could barely walk for weeks and weeks and weeks. And after being what felt like being betrayed by the midwives who didn't show up for my second birth, I didn't want to go back to them. And so I kind of just suffered with it for a couple months until I finally broke down and went to go see a random OBGYN who informed me that the only way to fix it would be to have surgery to remove it which didn't make sense to me at all since hypergranulation is caused by a wound. So it doesn't make sense to create a new wound in order to fix it. That logically doesn't make sense at all. Luckily, they teach us wound care in physical therapy school. So once I knew what it was, I was able to go back through my textbooks and find out how to fix it, which... Good for you for, for doing, I mean, advocating for yourself and doing that research on your own. You shouldn't have to, but yeah. And I think that's one of the biggest lessons that I would want other people to know other women is that yes, doctors have a very extensive education in the medical field, but nothing is more important than knowing your own body and a mother's intuition. Your body was designed to birth a baby. And yes, there are things that go wrong. And yes, there are complications sometimes, but for the most part, your body is made to birth your baby. And so yeah, if a doctor says something that doesn't sit right with you, you hire them and you can also fire them. And you can also very politely say, oh, okay, I'm going to need some time to think about that. If you don't feel like you can confront them right then and there. Um, You also have the right to ask for evidence. If they say that you uh, need to do a certain procedure, ask for the evidence before doing it. Question everything. Or even changing doctors. I mean, I think sometimes people go in and women just see the first OB or first midwife available, and it might not be someone that you personally click with. And knowing that that's okay and you can switch providers, especially if you have a provider who is not treating you with evidence-based care or not treating you as your own authority. You have, you have options. Yeah. And to educate yourself on like the red flags of knowing if an OB says a certain thing to turn around and run. Run. If an OB tells you your baby is 
too big and it can't fit through your pelvis, turn around and run. <laughs> if they insist on doing an ultrasound to check the size of your baby to make sure, you know, before you go have birth, they're just trying to push you to have a C-section, <laughs> turn around and run. But yeah, I mean, just to arm yourself with as much knowledge as possible. And that's why a doula can be super helpful, especially for first time moms, because they already have all of that knowledge. If you, you said you had a doula with your second, did you have a doula with your third? No, I did not have a doula with my third. Um, financially, we could only afford to pay up front for either a doula or a home birth midwife. Um, and so we decided to go with the midwife and then do the birth boot camp class, which honestly was the absolute best combination for me, especially because something that I learned about myself with the second birth is that I, I don't like people touching me. I don't people like people being around me. I don't <laughs> like, I just want to do my own thing and leave me alone. And so while Adula was helpful to a certain extent with the second one, I am very glad I didn't get one with the third because it was even more intimate. It was just me and my husband working through the things that we had learned with birth boot camp, And I felt, I felt just relaxed and in control. And yeah, I mean, sometimes the setting can play a role. Obviously having a supportive husband plays a role because if, if you don't have that supportive person, it it's hard when it's just you sometimes, even, even when you say like, you just like to be alone and do your own thing, even just knowing someone is there, if you need them for something can play a huge, a huge part in all of that. Yes. I guess you could say for the third, my husband was the doula. Like there's no way that I could have done it without him. Um, he was providing pressure, like counter pressure, pressure on my sacrum, you know, letting me hang off his shoulders, <laughs> you know, different things like that. There's, yeah, there's absolutely no way that I could have done that without him. Um, if you don't have a husband that's as hands-on, it definitely could be super helpful to have, even if it's not a doula, to have somebody that who that's knowledgeable and perhaps has gone through the birth class with you to be there with you and, and help support. So for any moms out there who are looking into maybe having a home birth after having had a cesarean, is there anything that you would tell them or any advice that you have just from your own journey? Um, that having a C-section one time does not mean that your body is a failure, regardless of the reason why it happened the first time. Almost everybody is a candidate for an HVAC. And to just trust your body and know that you are designed to give birth and you can do it. And even if you had a medicated birth the first time, don't doubt your strength to be able to do it unmedicated the second time. Because I've had a birth every single way. And I can tell you that a home birth unmedicated was my easiest one. The recovery from the unmedicated home birth was absolutely by far the best recovery I had. Um, I think a lot of that's attributed to just the natural feedback loop that you have during the pushing phase of labor. If you're listening to your body, first of all, when you're pushing, you get that feedback. Am I pushing too hard? Am I pushing the right way? And it helps you not to tear. 
And then not only that, when you don't have any medications in your system, it allows the natural hormones to provide feedback, you know, the oxytocin and they've done studies that show that smelling your baby's head directly after birth decreases hemorrhaging, all of those things. And when you interrupt those natural processes, that's when problems arise. And so just to be confident in the design of our bodies, the design of our relationship with our own babies, that, um, yeah, it's your body's made to do it. And the recovery is so much easier when you don't interfere with those processes. 100%. I agree. Well, thank you for sharing your story. Very well. Appreciate you coming on the podcast. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Home Birth After Cesarean podcast. Make sure to subscribe, leave a rating, and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. If you're interested in sharing your home birth after cesarean story, send us an email at hbacpodcast at gmail.com. See you next week.